Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, the Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit ChantelRayWay.com slash podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching, and Inner Circle Facebook group. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, Aaron here. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that you can find our full podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Not only do you get to see Chantel and our guests, but you also get to see any charts, graphs, or pictures that we may mention. Search Chantel Ray Way on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com slash coaching. As always, enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to this week's episode, and I am so excited to have Dr. Gersh with us on today's show. So Dr. Gersh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a little unusual in that I'm board certified in OBGYN, and I'm also board certified in integrative medicine. So I've expanded my therapeutic toolbox to include much more than just surgery and pharmaceuticals. So I incorporate things like acupuncture and homeopathy and herbal medicine and massage and mind-body techniques and energy medicine because it became very apparent to me that the the paradigm that we used, which we call the pill to the ill, was definitely, definitely not helping women to resolve their medical issues. I have to tell you a funny story. So I was in the grocery store the other day And I happened to see my gynecologist who had delivered my son. Well, my son is seven years old. And she was like, Chantel, how are you? And I was like, good, good to see you. She was like, how old is your son now? And I was like, seven. She's like, I haven't seen you in seven years. I was like, I know, I have not been to the gynecologist in seven years. And I was like, well, my philosophy is if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I don't know what it is, but I just like, I just... It's like on the very bottom of my to-do list. I know I need to go get just a, you know, a regular checkup or a regular exam, but I have not. Yes, this is this is my friendly reminder. I need to get in there. Um, that's funny. Well, let's go right into the questions. Um, but before we do, um, I know that you are releasing a book about PCOS, and I'm really excited because I have personally struggled with PCOS, and I know that we have tons of questions um, from different listeners that have struggled with PCOS. So um, just tell me a little bit, and I know that you had done a fasting documentary, so I just want you to kind of fill us in and tell us about how did you get involved in that fasting documentary and talk a little bit about PCOS. Well, PCOS is the most common endocrine disorder of reproductive aged women, although it actually is a lifelong condition. It's just obvious during the reproductive years. And it's so underdiagnosed, poorly treated, and it, and it hasn't really had any great breakthroughs in treatment ever, really. And in fact, nothing has changed much in many, many years. And none of the treatments that are currently used in any way get to the underlying root causes. So. I have been in practice for about three decades, and I saw things changing in my reproductive-aged women. In the beginning, they had, you know, there was an occasional woman who had like really bad cramps and had some issues, fertility issues. But over the years, I saw so many women gaining weight, struggling with acne, facial hair, which we call hirsutism, and infertility, crazy irregular cycles. And it's like something is really happening here, and it's not genetics because we know that people haven't genetically changed in in 20 years. So something is causing their genes to manifest differently. Yeah, and I know that my my gynecologist um, told me I would have a really hard time getting pregnant. Um, And they told me, you know, you're you have you you have PCOS, she told me. And she's like, I had, you know, such a severe case of PCOS that I would have a really hard time getting pregnant. And I ended up not having a hard time getting pregnant, but um, 
But that's one of the things that she told me. And we have been getting a lot of questions lately about people who are really struggling with infidelity. Infidel, infertility. <laughs> well, I don't, both sometimes happen, but definitely fertility is one of the hallmark problems that women with PCOS suffer from. And right. is in, in our conventional medical world, the way it's typically treated is with pharmaceuticals and assisted reproductive techniques like IVF, in vitro fertilization. The problem right. is it actually has a very low success rate for one thing. And when it is successful, there's a very high rate of miscarriage, pregnancy complications, and actual complications with the children who are born from those pregnancies. And when you get a woman pregnant, we'll say by trickery, the, the woman is not really physically optimized to carry that baby. And so all kinds of things go wrong. So one of the things that I emphasize is you need to be healthy long before you get pregnant. And most of the time when I work with my women patients, they get pregnant naturally, and then they have uncomplicated pregnancies. And I've seen that time and again, and that's just not what's really emphasized. In fact, when they talk about weight loss, so um, you're normal weight. And I'm actually a PCOS patient myself. I actually self-diagnosed a long time ago because I was also misdiagnosed, which many women with PCOS are. So 20% are what we call lean, the normal weight PCOS, and 80% really struggle with very severe weight resistance in terms of obesity and so forth. It's really, really hard for them to lose weight. And what they do for those women is they basically starve them for about 12 weeks. They say, they, they put them on a, a weight loss drug, which long-term is not the, going to help them. It's not going to keep the weight off long-term. They can't spend their life on these weight loss drugs and they of course don't get to underlying issues, but they put them on a weight loss drug and then they starve them for three months to try to help them to get pregnant. But then once they get pregnant, if they do, which is not the majority, then of course they, they really aren't healthy at that point. They're nutritionally deficient and they're metabolically unhealthy. So we don't want to, we'd never want to really do that to, to help do them. Know, do we know what the cause of PCOS is? Do we know what that cause is? I believe we do now. Of course, it's probably even more complicated than what I think and what some others are now thinking. And that is in women who are somewhat genetically predisposed in utero and during other critical developmental phases, perhaps in very early childhood and at puberty, they are exposed to endocrine disruptors. These are environmental chemicals and sometimes pharmaceuticals because they can also be endocrine disruptors that mess with our hormones, with the receptors, with the formation, the distribution, the elimination of our key hormones in our bodies. And hormones are the information delivery systems that, that tell the cells what to do. So if, for example, estrogen, which I call the master hormone of women, yes. if that is, we'll say, messed with, with chemical endocrine disruptors, we call them xenoestrogens, that's the most common kind of endocrine disruptor, then the cells don't get the right information. And in utero, when we're developing very key things like our hormone receptors, the way our bodies are developing, or, you know, you get one chance to make a baby right. You can't get it like, let's do a redo, you know? So mm -hmm. if the receptors don't form properly for estrogen, then the, the child and then ultimately the woman can't really function properly. And those people who have PCOS, is their, their estrogen is high, correct? Their levels, or is it low? No, no, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's such a common misunderstanding. In fact, they talk about women with PCOS have estrogen dominance. I wish that little expression would just go away because as it turns out, women with PCOS improperly make and process estrogen. And estrogen has functions, metabolic functions, as well as reproductive functions all over the body. So women with PCOS actually have lower levels of estrogen, but because they don't have the right rhythm of hormones, they don't have the proper menstrual cycle, the beautiful- Because you, you have to have the right amount of estrogen, progesterone, and, and uh, testosterone. I remember one time I did get my blood taken um, and you know, my testosterone was extremely low um, when I got my, my blood taken. So, 
talk about that, just that balance of progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone. Right. So we have this beautiful rhythmic system in our female bodies, and we call it the lunar rhythm, right? That's the, the, the menstrual cycle. And it's dynamic. The levels change on a regular basis, even from day to day. And of course, even throughout the day, hormones are not in the same proportions or made at the same exact levels. So it's this beautiful interplay and dynamic between these different hormones. And so when people talk about estrogen dominance, it's really more like progesterone deficiency because you're not ovulating. So in order for the female body to work properly, to allow conception, to allow everything to flow the way it normally should, you need exactly as you said, you need this perfect balance between the hormones. In, and it's, it's a very dynamic interchange between these hormones. And actually, for example, when you ovulate, you're preceded by a very big spike in estrogen that precedes ovulation. And that big spike of estrogen actually opens up or upregulates the receptors for hormones like progesterone, testosterone, and thyroid. So the receptors open and close and they're dynamically related to the hormone level. So the high level of progesterone in the second half of the menstrual cycle actually then downregulates the estrogen receptors. So you have this beautiful interplay, which is not working properly in women with PCOS. I will tell you, so just for me personally, the day that, I, like the the day or the day before that I'm about to get my period, I have the most, and I don't get headaches very often, but the only time I get headaches is the day before my period and the day kind of of, and then the day that I'm ending my cycle, like just excruciating headaches. What would you suggest for that? Do you have any uh, suggestions for those kind of headaches? Well, First thing is when a woman starts her period, what triggers that is a very significant drop in her progesterone levels and progesterone mm -hmm. production. And that triggers the production of what are called prostaglandins. Now, prostaglandins are like little hormonal signals themselves and they're present all over the body, but especially within the uterine cavity. And these create, in this case, inflammation because shedding the lining of the uterus, which is what a menstrual period is, is actually an inflammatory process because the cells die, they fall out. So you get sort of a, a state of inflammation locally, but not just locally, throughout your body. And in some women, they actually have like inflammation in their brain. And that's where you're getting those headaches. So, wow. so anything that lowers some of this inflammation, that's why people take, and this is not what I advocate for, but they take NSAIDs. You know, these are anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen, which is not a great um, drug, but sometimes for one day, if it's one or two days and that's it, because right. even one dose, they've shown even one dose of ibuprofen will significantly alter your gut microbiome, which is yes. another big topic, you know. It is a big topic. And, that, and that's funny that you say that because I absolutely like, I am such an anti, you know, I'm organic everything, you know, so I'm such anti ibuprofen, Advil, all of that. But there are two times I basically take it two times a month and it's the day I start a day I'm going to start. And then the day I end because it's like, I finally just break down and I'm like, give me an Advil, you know, I'll give you a few more natural tricks that you can okay. use. Okay. Magnesium. Mm. If you magnesium, works in many, many ways. It works in over 300 different enzymatic processes in the body, and it is very anti-inflammatory. It, mm. it has many wonderful beneficial effects. So if you take about 700 milligrams, on, I would recommend like calcium, rather magnesium glycinate, because okay. that doesn't give you like diarrhea, okay? If you mm -hmm. take too much magnesium, it's great if you're constipated, but that's not what we're dealing with here. If you actually have constipation, say anyone out there. Oh, I'm always constipated, so that's good. For those people, they might want to take magnesium citrate. But so magnesium. The other thing is um, curcumin. So hold on, say that one more time. So if you struggle with constipation and you need help in that, then then which magnesium should you be taking? Citrate. Okay. But if you say, you no, know, I go regularly, I don't have a problem, then take... Glycinate. Got it. 
Okay, so that's one. That's one trick. What was the other? What's the other one that you were going to say? Couple of different anti-inflammatory herbals can be very helpful. One is curcumin, which is useful for just about everything under the sun and has been shown to improve uh, brain function in all sorts of ways. We know that cognition, mood, headaches are all interrelated. So you can take curcumin. You can also take another herbal, which is called butterbur. And what's really interesting is that butterbur was the first herbal treatment that a national medical organization, a society, the Neurological Society, actually endorsed butterbur, which was like a breakthrough for a conventional medical organization to endorse an herb. So they actually came out and said butterbur is as good as drugs like Imitrex mm, or headaches. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, yeah, the, the triptans. It's as good as a triptan, which is fabulous that they came out with that. So tell me about this fasting documentary uh, that you are a part of, and how did you get involved in that? Well, back a number of years ago now, it's about three so years ago, um, I was approached by a marketer who was just doing interviews of people who are integrative um, doctors, like functional integrative medicine doctors. And the, it was just to see, would, would you ever be involved with fasting? With, would you incorporate that for your patients? What's your views on that? Mm -hmm. and so that was the main agenda. But there was a subtext. There was another agenda. And that was to find a medical practice that would be the first site to actually use the fasting mimicking diet, which was being developed at the um, Longevity Institute at USC. And out of over 100 people, I ended up going through the whole interview process and I was selected to actually have the privilege to use with myself and my patients the fasting mimicking diet which was developed there. And so through that, I got to know the, the people, the main key players like Professor Walter Longo, what a wonderful privilege that was and has maintained, you know, we've maintained our relationship to, to get to meet these people, these amazing, brilliant researchers in the nutrition and fasting world. And I got to become you part do, of it. You do fasting yourself? Is that part of your lifestyle? It was not before. It is absolutely now. I have done the fasting mimicking diet myself 13 times. In fact, next week is going to be number 14. It's um, an absolute mainstay of my own. I call it my reverse aging program for myself. And I incorporate it with the vast majority of my patients because there are just a few exceptions who really shouldn't be using um, any kind of fasting, like people who are very old or frail or very ill or obviously pregnant or too young and so on. But the vast majority of people will benefit. So it's really like a reboot. Talk about, this fasting, talk about the fasting mimicking diet in an easy to understand way. What do people do for that? Well, the fasting mimicking diet, which was developed at USC, ultimately evolved into an actual company so that people could access it. Because what's the use if it's just in an ivory tower, right? So now it's available for everyone. And the name of the product is called Prolon for promoting longevity. But it does much more than that. And they use that because it came from the Longevity Institute. And in mice, they actually lived longer you know, which is amazing. So basically what it does is it, it brings up and calls into action the survival mechanisms, our intrinsic capabilities to survive when there's not food around. So what happens is it's five days of eating, but you actually get the benefits as if you actually fasted with nothing but water for four days. Now, I don't know if anyone, including yourself, has ever tried to truly water fast for multiple days. I've never gotten through one, not even one. And yeah. so with this, I can do easily because what they have created is a diet where you get three meals a day with, um, and it's quite tasty and it's quite adequate. You get a nut bar for breakfast and a soup for lunch and dinner, plus little extras, depending on the day. You, you get either some olives or a cocoa crisp or you get kale crackers. And the first day is extra. You get some extra calories. You get like two nut bars and a few extra of these little extras. And then the next four days is about a little under 800 calories. The first day is about 1,100 calories. But it's formulated in such a way, which is the brilliance of it, that you get to eat 
but your body doesn't see it. So I call it, I've named it myself, I call it stealth food, that your body doesn't see it. So you get the benefits as if you truly fasted for four days while you get the pleasure and the health benefits of eating for five. And the benefits are astounding. It's, it's really quite amazing. So the way I look at it is once you've been fasting for about three days, that's when you go into real ketosis and your body says, okay, I've waited around, I've hoped food would show up, and none has because it doesn't recognize the food you've been eating. So what happens is your body says, it's now or never. I've got to get smarter, stronger, you know, leaner, meaner. I've got to really be, get my act together if I'm gonna go find food because I have this window of opportunity after which I'll be too weak. So what happens is in order to really rev up everything, you rev up your engines, you start burning fat. I mean, this is, wonderful. You burn fat. And the fat you burn first is the visceral fat, the crappy inflammatory fat that we develop in our midsections, in our belly fat, around our organs. You have to be smart if you're going to find food now, because no food's around now for a few days. You have to be smarter. So it increases brain growth factors, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So you actually are calmer and you actually feel smarter. And you actually are. They've done studies that show in mice, for example, they can run their little mazes and do fabulously. They actually get smarter. For myself, by the time I get to day five, I feel like I can beat anyone in chess and I don't hardly ever play chess. So right. it makes you feel like you can, you can do anything because you're so focused. You're so with well, they're doing They're doing so many studies now. Like, I mean, it's just the benefits of fasting just you know, water fasting in general are just every, every day I'm hearing more articles. It's funny because, you know, I've wrote a book on intermittent fasting. And so anytime there's an article on intermittent fasting or fasting and all the benefits, someone sends me the link, which I love. I, it's so nice, but it just, it's powerful. Is there any other, is there any like amazing stories that you've seen from your, from fasting, from your patients that you've seen? Oh, absolutely. So the, the key players that, that I see the most benefit from are the people who obviously have some metabolic issues to begin with, right? So if I give it to someone, it's more for healthy longevity, then you know, it's, I have to wait a number of years to see if they live longer. But it's really yeah. about health span. And, and health span means living your life with quality with you know, the optimal ability to, to do what you want. But yeah. so th that's like a lot of people, but of some people have clear cut problems. So I've turned around people who had hypertension, who've had high cholesterol. What I do a lot of lab testing because it's non-invasive. I, can, I can't monitor what I never measure. So I look at inflammatory markers. I've seen them go from very high states of inflammation back to normal. And a lot of women in menopause. So menopause is a state of inherent inflammation. And what ages are you seeing? Some people um, have starting to go through that menopause. What is that age range? Well, it's variable, but it's a huge, a huge um, impact on women's health. So the average age for menopause when the period stops is 51. But it varies. Like for me, I was in my early 40s, I think, because I did obstetrics for so many years. I, I had chronic sleep deprivation. And so anything that creates inflammation, nutrient deficiencies will give you an earlier menopause, which is not a good thing. So some women will go into menopause in their early 40s. But anything under the age of 50, is, especially under 45, is really considered a, a big red flag, a health problem. But um, but it could be so one of my friends later. who's who's 48 just called me and, um, you know, she knew that you were coming on the show. But um, her question was, she said, you know, she was 48 and she said that she heard about this new procedure where they could literally um, singe something and so that you wouldn't have a period anymore and she's really struggling with heavy periods and so forth what would what would your advice to her be well what she's talking about is and what she's talking about is having an endometrial ablation and there's a number of different techniques basically if you destroy the uterine lining there's nothing to come out so it won't change your hormones 
So, but it will make the, you can't have, it's like a substitute for a hysterectomy. You still have your uterus, but you've destroyed the lining. And in some cases that can be a go-to. I mean, you can't just hemorrhage every single month. And, and, but it's not, but it, even if you have that done, it has to be recognized that there's something going on in that woman, right? Because that's obviously not normal. Most of the time, especially during the transition, the, the menopausal transition, by using bioidentical hormones and also lots of anti-inflammatory tactics like doing fasting, like using the fasting mimicking diet, which is my personal favorite, by putting people on an anti-inflammatory diet where they eat lots of vegetables, avoid all processed chemical foods so that they don't have that inherent inflammation. Because like I said, having a period is an inflammatory process. Wow, you know, so I never so, really said yeah. like that. So when you have really heavy periods, it's saying, unless you have a, an inborn clotting disorder, that's like von Willebrand's, that's a whole different thing. But assuming mm -hmm. that this is a newly acquired thing that you don't have an un, you know, a, a, a platelet problems or something, but then it means that's a clue. I look at all medical problems as clues to what's going on, what's causing this. So clearly when a woman has really heavy periods, she has a problem with uncontrolled inflammation ongoing mm -hmm. in her uterine cavity and it's probably everywhere in her body because things in one place transfer to every place. So wow. we want to really look at what's your diet, what's your, you know, if you have hormonal imbalances, lack of estrogen or inability to have enough estrogen, that in itself will create an inflammatory state. So I you know even if a woman says, you know, well, we figure this out, I just got to stop this. So I'm going to have an ablation of my endometrium. Still, we want to go the next step and find out what's going on because you know what? If you don't, you may see something down the line. You know, this woman mm -hmm. is going to have a different problem. It's going to matter. It's sort of like playing whack-a-mole. It's going to come out somewhere else and there's going to be okay. another medical problem that may not be so easily solved, like burning something up. Makes sense. So recently you wrote a blog about the endocannabinoid system and estrogen, which I find fascinating because we actually just recorded a podcast. You'll be able to hear it. And we have another guest that is an absolute expert on the endocannabinoid system. And it's so popular now. I mean, I'm getting massive amounts of questions. And so I was like, we're going to have to get some specialists on here um, about the endocannabinoid system. And so can you break down specifically how the endocannabinoid system can affect the hormone issues that we deal with? Well, I am the hormone connection. I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things that I do is all over the world, I go around and I defend the defenseless. Sometimes I have to defend cholesterol. Sometimes, you know, I have to defend real food. And I always have to defend estrogen because, you know, it's the most poorly, you know, treated maligned hormone. It turns out that estrogen is key to virtually every function in the body. And guess what? The endocannabinoid system is no exception. And most people have no clue the relationship so much of what actually happens that estrogen is responsible for is actually through the endocannabinoid system, which you can think of as the link between the physical and the metaphysical, sort of the emotional component of a human and the physical component is actually linked in this amazing endocannabinoid system. And it has a bi-directional relationship with estrogen. In other words, they up and down regulate each other. So it's really a fascinating relationship. So estrogen is an anxiolytic, meaning estrogen reduces anxiety in a woman. And it does so through the endocannabinoid system. One of the things that estrogen does is it blocks the degradation of the enzyme, which would degrade our natural endorphins, our natural end end endocannabinoids. So estrogen keeps our endocannabinoids, our natural ones, around longer. It also increases their production. So estrogen is actually key to our own bodies making these wonderful, these, these innate chemicals, the endocannabinoids, that do all these amazing functions. And the endocannabinoid system, we now know, has receptors largely in the brain, has a whole bunch, and all over the brain, in, in, the, in the hippocampus, in the hypothalamus, in the limbic system. The, that's the mood emotional centers. 
and it's all linked with estrogen. And they also have peripheral. That's why it's the connection between the body, the mind, the mood, and it's all interrelated with estrogen. Now, endocannabinoids, for example, THC, which comes like from marijuana, this is a really important thing for women to know that THC, that component, will actually suppress the body's ability to make some of these, uh, our own innate hormones, what are called gonadotropins, that create LH, luteinizing hormone, the, the hormones that come from the pituitary that stimulate the ovary to make so, all the hormones. So, and, and right here, I actually just bought some um, hemp oil, some CBD. So for listeners who haven't listened to last week's podcast, we obviously, the marijuana plant has two different, you want to talk about that for just a second, how we have the CBD and the THC and the right. difference between that? Right. So the, the THC has some different components. It's the one that can have more of the psychotropic effects. And the CBD has more immunomodulating effects. So they actually work together in our bodies to create all these different interesting impacts. And, and our, own, our own body's endocannabinoid system has two receptors. So it's kind of comparable. We have the CB1 and CB2. So we have these dual systems that are going on involving our immune system. The endocannabinoid system is very involved in our immune systems, which is why there's a lot of hope that research with some of these you know, endocannabinoids that are coming from plants that actually work on our own receptors, things like hemp oil and from marijuana, the, the CBD oils and so on can actually- so are, you a, are you a proponent of the CBD oil? I am. I want to see more research. It just pains me no end that we don't have adequate research in this country that, you know, that herbals that are so potentially helpful for conditions in women like PCOS, for endometriosis. You know, there's so much potential that we can get to help women and we're not getting the research that we need because I think that understanding the relationship of our own hormones and the endocannabinoid system and that there are herbal plants that can interface with these receptors to create some of the same impact and have all these health and healing benefits is really important. So with the CBD oil, from what I'm hearing you say, you believe that is, you know, obviously we need more research, but from what you know, the CBD oil is effective to help your hormones, but the THC maybe is not beneficial. Is that what I heard you say? There's evidence that THC will downregulate our pituitary gonadotropins, the hormones that actually stimulate our ovaries to make the hormones that we need. So if say, say a woman is taking whole plant marijuana, um, the, either you know, taking the marijuana or using the, the combined you know, um, with the THC and then the CBD, uh, she may actually be reducing her fertility and altering her menstrual cycles. And so it's really important for women to know that. And as well, for whole plant, when the women have exposure to THC, they are much more liable to become dependent and to have addiction. So women are more prone to addictions than men and are more susceptible to the effects of the whole plant marijuana. So these have to be really used with great caution. They should really be used in a medical setting and really by someone who is, has expertise in the use of these because you know, they like everything, right? It has great potential for good and it also has some potential for harm. We have to be very cautious about, about using these things. There's actually data that in people under the age of 26 continually using any of these um, CBD products and THC products that they can alter. Remember, it has receptors all over the brain. People don't finish developing their brains until they're about 26, 27, that you can actually affect brain development by using these because these are powerful tools. So I really do not advocate recreational use of marijuana, even in states like mine, like California, where it's legal, especially in younger people, because this really can impact on their, their young developing brain. So we have to use these with caution. So I think there's amazing potential, but we just have to realize that these aren't toys, that these are powerful chemicals um, derived from these wonderful plants that can have both good and both you know, problematic effects. 
So we've got to dive into our questions since you're you're writing a book currently right now about PCOS, correct? Yes, I'm so excited. It's been and what's the name of the book? It's going to be PCOS SOS and PCOS SOS and Integrative Gynecologist Lifeline to Restoring Your Rhythms, Hormones, and Happiness. Awesome. I love and, that. Um, so that's coming out and it's going to be really- And when is it going to be out? Probably in October and November. And it will be available for purchase on, on Amazon. And it will also be hopefully not too long after that in some bookstores. And it will also be available on my personal website, which is very simple. It's just my name, FeliceElGershMD.com. Awesome. And we will put that in the show notes. And if you'll send us a link, I'll make sure we put that on today's show notes. And we've never had a guest come on specifically to talk about PCOS. And so we did put... um, we did put a post that you were coming on and have some specific questions for you. So this is Jennifer in Little Rock. My mom lives in Arizona. Uh, I mean, Arkansas. I'm saying Arizona, Arkansas. She lives in Jonesboro. But this says, when I visited my gynecologist, she told me she thought that I had PCOS, but then there, but that there is no true way to tell. She knows that I'm not trying to conceive at this time in my life, and brushed it off like it was something I shouldn't be concerned with since I'm not trying to get pregnant. I do want to have kids one day and I'm not comfortable with the fact that something could potentially be wrong. What can I do to improve my health so that when I am ready to have children, I can maximize my chances of conceiving? Well, it breaks my heart, first of all, to hear that a doctor is so under aware of all the ramifications of having PCOS and doesn't know how to diagnose it either. And this is actually a rampant problem. In fact, there was a study that just was published showing that many women have to go to something like seven doctors before they actually get diagnosed. And even after they're diagnosed, they're like, like this, you know, they're just brushed aside saying whatever, or they're put on, you know, birth control pills and told they have to take it and so forth. But in reality, this is a very big deal and it isn't hard to diagnose and it's somewhat of a spectrum though. So it has to be understood. Everyone with PCOS is not identical. It, there is a very broad range of symptoms and, and severities. But basically, if a woman has two of the following- run through, run through those systems, those symptoms real quick for people and you kind of go, look, if you've got these symptoms and this sounds like you, run through those for us. So- one of the, the classic symptoms is androgen excess manifestation. So androgen are what we call male hormones. Of course, they're not just male. They're just predominant in male. They're female hormones as well. That would be testosterone and the other androgens out of the adrenal, like dehydroepiandrosterone sulfate, that's DHEA sulfate. So that would manifest as facial hair. So if you're growing a beard, that's a clue. Okay, if you have excessive hair, like if you have hair on your chest or lots of hair growing on your breasts and, and so on, and your abdomen, it looks like a hairy guy's kind of tummy, then you know, that is a real sign of androgen excess. If you have cystic recalcitrant acne, it's just especially the lower part of the face, and you have these big cysts, they're painful, and you know, they just don't go away, and you know, they, they try terrible things like Accutane, which, I, which almost the vast majority is like 70% of women who try Accutane with PCOS, it, it may clear and then it comes right back with a fury. So, and, and it damages the gut. So please don't go to Accutane. But they have you know, cystic acne. It's a terrible thing. And then they lose hair. So they have what we call androgenic alopecia. So they start having male pattern baldness. They lose the hair in the front, the temporal areas and so on. So their hair just comes out. It's really thin and fine hair. So those are signs of androgen excess. Then the other key finding would be irregular menstrual cycles or no menstrual cycle. Like I, for myself, I went two years without a period and I was told by one of the high level people at the medical school where I was training, that eh, doesn't matter. It's okay, two years, doesn't matter. Just go on birth control pills. Like, is there something wrong with me? You know, so I get it. You know, but so not having periods or very irregular periods, that's another big clue. The other is, remember, 80% will have really terrible problems losing weight. So that is like, you know, you think like you're, you're doing the right thing, but you can't lose weight. That's because women 
with PCOS have, now we know, a lot of problems with their gut microbiome, which is another common, not always there, but like irritable bowel syndrome, problems with your gut, problems with your mood. A lot of women with PCOS have extra anxiety because their, their hormones are so imbalanced. We just talked about the endocannabinoid system and about mood and so on. Their hormones are out of whack. So they have anxiety and depression, insomnia, sleep apnea. So there's so many of these things. And of course, if they try to get pregnant, they have fertility problems, they have complications, they have insulin resistance. So they're more prone to diabetes. They often can get also the hidden epidemic, which is called fatty liver but you won't know that unless you get an ultrasound of your liver, which mm -hmm. is very important. So it's a lot of metabolic dysfunction, menstrual dysfunction, mood dysfunction, and you know these cosmetic things that are- talk about, talk about that fatty liver for just a second, um, because the, how does your hormones affect having that fatty liver? Well, estrogen, which has receptors virtually everywhere in the body, also has receptors in the GI tract. It turns out that about 70% of the immune system lines the GI tract. It's all filled with our different types of immune cells, the, what we call the innate ones, the ones that are the first responders to infections, and then the, the um, B and T cells, which make antibodies, are all lining the gut and ready to go and do whatever they need to do to defend our bodies. Well, when you have the wrong bacteria, we have this amazing civilization we didn't know existed within our, our bodies and on our bodies. And the biggest one of these collections is in the gut called the gut microbiome. So it's trillions of bacteria. And women with PCOS, we now know, have an altered gut microbiome. They have the wrong bacteria. And so they do not create the right products and they create what we call endotoxins, actually toxins in the gut. And these can leak out, we call that leaky gut, it's impaired gut barrier function. It goes into the surrounding immune system. And it turns out women with PCOS have like powder keg immune system. Like they're very super sensitive. So it takes less of a stimulus to cause an inflammatory reaction. So these cells see this endotoxin that's coming into them and they explode with inflammation. And there's a conduit from the gut right to the liver. So this inflammation travels to the liver and it, the signaling is off. You have the wrong metabolic products produced and you get inflammation in the liver. Once you get inflammation in the liver, the whole system is malfunctioning. The liver starts to produce fat, which we call triglycerides, without control. It starts to produce sugar. We call that gluconeogenesis without normal controls. So the liver is just churning out fats and sugars and it actually incorporates the fats into itself in this inflammatory liver state. And so you get fatty liver, but you also get these fats circulating. So you get fatty other things. You can get fatty heart. You can get fatty muscle, like your skeletal muscles. Mm -hmm. So you have this uncontrolled system and you now have the, the ticket to getting diabetes because you have abnormal production of sugar and these inflammatory products are actually directly toxic to the beta cells of the pancreas. So you actually harm your pancreas's ability to properly even make insulin and control this. So, and the transport system that we call the glute system is estrogen controlled. So we have, that system is now malfunctioning. So you don't transport the sugar into the cells properly. So the cells are now struggling and they don't get, they like living in a sea of energy, but they can't metabolize it. So you don't get the right energy in the cell, but you're struggling with lots of sugar. So you get really what I call metabolic chaos and it actually starts in the gut. So that's where we like for women, we have to start by healing the gut, by working to eat the right foods, to try to get on the right signal. And that's one of the beautiful things about fasting is that it turns out that it's a reboot to our circadian rhythm. It, it really is because I personally, just so you know, I did, I feel like my PCOS is, has really kind of either, it's probably still a little bit there, but I've really healed it through fasting. I, for my face, yeah. So my face, I literally, you know, the laser hair removal place. Since I was 21 years old, my, I have been going every like six to eight weeks since I was 21 and I'm over 40. So for the last 20 years, 
I've been going and they're like, well, we don't understand why, you know, the hair just keeps coming back and the hair keeps coming back. And it's because of the PCOS and the hormone issues. And now I still go a little bit, but I'm not going near like I was over the last 20 years. Um, And I believe it's through that fasting. And that's all that I deal with in my new book. You know, I deal with how to implement fasting, change your diet, work with your circadian rhythm, because it turns out that women with PCOS are actually living their lives essentially in jet lag. So it's like they're always in jet lag because their rhythms are off and their master clock in their brain is actually very regulated by estrogen, which is malfunctioning. You don't have the right levels. So it's like they're always living in a world of jet lag. And we now know that jet lag produces horrendous effects all over the body in terms of increasing insulin resistance and having um, all kinds of inflammatory processes, increasing cancer risk and mood disorders and so on. So we have to get the rhythms right in women. We have to heal the gut. We have to get nutrients back into them because when you have an abnormal gut, you're not digesting your food properly. And so then you can become nutrient deficient. It becomes like a downward spiral. So there's so much we can do that is natural. And for example, birth control pills, I'd like to mention, actually create harm because they actually alter the gut microbiome in negative ways. Hey guys, I'm so excited that my new book, Waste Away, The Chantel Rayway, is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and pretty much anywhere you can find books. But we also have the audiobook, the ebook, and my new recipe book that you can download all the recipes that I love that I make, and it's super cheap. It's all my favorites. Anyway, if you have a minute to write a review on Amazon, I would be ever grateful. So Jordan, let's move on to our next question. Jordan in North Carolina says, my doctor prescribed me with birth control as a way to treat my PCOS and said that I needed it in order to keep my period regular. I personally hate birth control side effects, the weight gain, the mood swings, etc. Also, I just don't like taking medicine every day, but I have remained on it because my doctor told me to. Is it true that this is the best treatment for PCOS or is there a more natural remedy that you recommend? I hate birth control pills. And I I hate to say I hate, but I do. Because it's like you have a wall and it's filled with mold and termites. So your solution is cover it with wallpaper, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love that analogy. That's really good. I know. It's like the menstrual cycle is a vital sign of a woman's health. Fertility is a vital sign of a woman's health. Like I mentioned, if if you're having like heavy periods, that's a sign. You wanna deal with the period, but you want to deal with why. So if a woman has irregular cycles, you don't just put the wallpaper on it. No, you've got to help to get it right and figure out why it's so off because a a woman who has irregular cycles has clearly medical issues going on, abnormalities that need to be addressed because the body, the female body is all towards reproduction. Remember the prime directive of life, whether you like it or not, is reproduction, right? So when reproduction is off, that is a key sign. Like ancient civilizations, they all had fertility gods, right? Because they knew fertility was the vital sign of health. So a woman's reproductive system is linked to every other system because obviously nature created everything to be interlinked. So you wouldn't want an unhealthy woman reproducing. So when you have an irregular cycle, nature is saying, you're not good material to make a baby. That means you're unhealthy. So we've Mm. got to work on that. Giving birth control pills is actually harmful. Why do we not give birth control pills to women who are heavy smokers when they're younger or smokers of any degree with they're like in their 30s or older? Why would we not give it to a woman who has really high blood pressure? Because it's harmful. Because birth control pills increase risk of clotting, of heart attacks, strokes. It increases atherosclerosis. Birth control pills are not about creating health. They're about preventing pregnancy. And when you recognize that fertility is vital to a woman's health, even when you don't want to conceive, you want to maintain your fertility because that's what you are. You're- and that, that's, what, that, that's what drives me crazy. And it's so nice to see 
a doctor, you know, it's funny because we I went to the pool the other day and I'm a member at the Prince Anne Country Club and it's like every person there is a doctor. And so the and so I'm always having conversations and I always tell them, I say, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of our regular medical doctors because I feel like all they want to do is just slap a prescription, slap a prescription, slap a prescription. And they never get to the root of the problem to figure out what is really going on. That's what we call the pill to the ill. And a person could end up going to five doctors, getting five different prescriptions. Often one prescription negates or harms with the other. I think you need to put something like that in your title of the book, because that pill to the ill is really catchy. And I think that needs to be somewhere in your book. We need to find a way to get it in there because it's it's really catchy and really sticks with people all right to write an introduction you're really catchy with your titles and your words <laughs> you're good well right. that's why you're right in saratoga she says i love your podcast and i'm excited that you're having a doctor on to talk about pcos because sometimes i feel very alone in my struggle with it What are some of the best natural supplements that a woman with PCOS should take? And are there certain foods that I should be sure to include in my diet and certain foods that I should leave out? Great question, Nicole. And of course, I'll go into much more detail into all of this in my book with, you know, doses and everything else. But some of the key ones would be myo-inositol, which is like a B vitamin derivative, which has amazing properties. It's anti-inflammatory. It helps regulate cycles. It helps reduce insulin resistance. So myo-inositol is a definite. Another one is N-acetylcysteine, which has many benefits in and of itself, but it also is a precursor to the master detoxifier and antioxidant of the body called glutathione. So N-acetylcysteine is a must. We can often get women to start having regular cycles just with that alone. And so additionally, berberine. So berberine is an alkaloid extract from a number of different plants, and it actually works as an antimicrobial. It actually kills bad bacteria in the gut. So we didn't know how it worked, but now it turns out that the mechanism is always more complex, but it includes killing off and helping to regulate and get a right microbiome. So it's very helpful and it actually has many other benefits. It's also what we call a fasting mimetic. So there are a number of substances that mimic fasting, like resveratrol. So berberine and resveratrol and alpha lipoic acid. These actually can create- sell these? Do you sell these on your website or anything where if they go to your site, do you actually sell these? Um, I will. I'm putting, I'm putting up a new website for my practice and I'm going to be adding a store. So it'll probably be about another month and I will be um, having that available that you can actually get um, my protocols and you can actually buy some of these supplements. And I always want to say that, you know, everyone should hopefully have some doctor somewhere and, and that actually understands and, and helps them. I'm totally. And you can, you can, you can help people. We have people, obviously you can see all over that are asking these questions. And so you can help people. You'll, you do consultations and so forth over the phone, correct? Right. So I'm still what I call a, a, an in the trenches doctor. I have mm-hmm. a brick and mortar practice, which people actually do come to from all over the country and all over the world. I just saw someone from Ecuador a few days ago. So I do, and it's in Irvine, California. So we can help people if they come from far away, we can help them by staying a few days, even a week. And we can do a lot because I have a team. I really believe that for PCOS and for most healthcare issues that it really takes a village as they say. So I have naturopaths, I have I have different types of massage therapy. I have fitness. Um, I have a gym in my office. I do acupuncture and like homeopathy and mind-body medicine. So I have a team. I can't do all of those things myself. So they could just go to Irvine, California and just kind of have like a, a week of spa and kind of get themselves together. Right. We, we work with them. And if people can take a week, because I'm, you know, right in, in the heart of vacation land in Southern California, you know, right, um, uh, touching, Irvine touches Laguna Beach and Newport Beach, and it's right uh, down the street from Disneyland. So there's plenty to do here. A lot of people who come from around the world come and make it a vacation 
like a medical destination vacation, you know? So like medical tourism, that's become- That's a, gr- that's a great idea. Make it a vacation. All right, this next- Next question comes from Anonymous. She didn't give her, he or she, I guess is the she. She didn't give her name. She says, one of my least favorite side effects of PCOS is the embarrassing hair on my face. When I went in for laser hair removal, they even told me that they, they even told me that they told me that they wouldn't even guarantee that this would work with someone who struggles with PCOS. I was so discouraged. I don't want to deal with this beard forever. Do you have any recommendations for natural hair removal that are effective or any way that I can curb my facial hair growth? Well, most, the majority of women with PCOS have elevated levels of testosterone and then a smaller percentage have elevated levels of DHEA sulfate, which is the adrenal hormone. Until you get these androgens down, the hair growth will never stop. You know, there's always another follicle somewhere, you know, and when you do laser, that's why they don't call it laser hair removal anymore. They call it laser hair reduction. So Mm -hmm. it helps, but it's like for you, for like, it's never ending because there's always another hair follicle. It's not typically killing all the hair follicles. It's sort of putting them, it's like a stun gun. But if you have this great stimulus from all these androgens, it just keeps generating new hair. So the only permanent hair removal is electrolysis. And unfortunately, it's sort of becoming a dying art. I've met, I've, I mean, I've actually spoken in front of electrolysis organizations, and most of the women are in their 50s who are the, the um, practitioners of this art. And the very few younger people are training in it because they figure, oh, you know, they're doing laser. But for women with PCOS, the lasers are helpful, but it's never ending because the hair just keeps on coming. Again, you got to get to the root of why that hair That's is right. growing. So, so we have to lower the testosterone level. Now, by fasting, by the way, we'll lower the levels of testosterone. And regulate so, it. Yes, and when you do time-restricted eating, for example, if you, there was a study out of Israel, and, and it was on lean PCOS, but I found it also works with any woman with PCOS, if they're willing to do this. If they, they ate in this study, two-thirds of their calories for breakfast, and then one-third for lunch, and that leaves nothing but just a little bitty bit for dinner, very little. So they ate a big breakfast, a medium lunch, and a teensy-teensy dinner. In one month, their testosterone levels fell by 50%. That's amazing. There are other things like spearmint tea, by the way. The spearmint tea is in Prolon. I don't know how they figured out to put spearmint tea in, but spearmint tea has been shown to lower testosterone levels. Resveratrol lowers testosterone levels. So but a lot of the treatments that I implement for PCOS will lower the testosterone levels and help to curb this relentless hair growth. Well, there was a study out of UC San Diego that showed that giving resveratrol can actually lower testosterone levels. So all these things that lower inflammation, that help to reset the circadian clock, these can be amazing to reduce testosterone levels and healing the gut because we now know that when you have an inflamed gut, that also can lead to elevated testosterone levels. So all the different things that we do naturally to help resolve these conditions that women with PCOS are suffering from will lower the testosterone. Awesome. Ashley in Springfield says, my sister struggles with PCOS and had a really hard time conceiving. Sadly, she also had a miscarriage on one of her pregnancies. I was also wondering if miscarriages can be related to PCOS or if PCOS only affects your ability to conceive. I asked because my doctor told me that it's common for PCOS to run in sisters, and I'm curious what my future would be like if I decide to have children. Ashley in Springfield. Well, in terms of the genetic component, Yes, there's a, if you have a sister with PCOS, there's a good 50-50 chance at least that you will have at least some degree of PCOS. They've shown that in mothers of women with PCOS, even if they say they did not have PCOS, they have a dramatically higher rate of developing diabetes. So there is definitely something within the genetics. I think it's that women are not as good at detoxifying. 
And I've found that with the, looking at certain methylation factors and genetics, like the, what we call MTHFR, that the women with the worst and case- And sweating. You know, that's another thing is like, you know, I, I have found that when I, you know, I've, I got a new, well, it wasn't new, but I've had it. I just haven't been using it, but we have an infrared sauna. And when I go in there and I do like a good sweat, like I'll just go in there and just sweat it out. I'm telling you, like, I am a new woman when I go in there. And I think that's a good point about detoxing your body and getting that stuff out. Well, women, they've actually shown that women with PCOS carry higher body burdens of chemicals like bisphenol A. So it's not that they're exposed to more bisphenol A, it's that they can't get rid of it as well. So I really believe that some of the, the problems with women with PCOS is that we live in this poison world, unfortunately, where we're exposed to all these chemicals. And you know we did not evolve as a species to deal with all these chemicals. This is a really new development in our history as humans on planet Earth. And some people are just not genetically programmed to get rid of this toxic stuff as well. So it's like we're all born with a bucket and it's our toxic bucket. And when that bucket is overflowing, we get sick. And some people have smaller or larger buckets. And so we, you know, it's, it, Matt, that's why you can have different people exposed to exactly the same thing, but they manifest in different ways. And women with PCOS tend to be more susceptible to these chemical toxins. And they've actually shown that they carry higher levels within their bodies. So it's really essential to for women with PCOS to try not to use plastic for stuff, you know, avoid plastic, try to use natural products, you know, eat out of glass and stainless steel, don't drink your coffee out of plastic, you know, bring your own containers with you if you go to a coffee shop and don't do the coffee with the lids, the plastic lids, they're, they're terrible for us and it all dissolves into our drinks. So we really want to avoid these toxins as much as possible. So that's one thing is the genetics, the toxins. In terms of miscarriages, yes, unfortunately, women with PCOS have every kind of reproductive problem at a higher rate. So they have more infertility. They have much higher rates of miscarriages. They have high rates of pregnancy-related complications like preeclampsia, also known as toxemia, gestational hypertension, gestational diabetes, preterm labors and, and preterm deliveries, and very large babies and sometimes very small babies. So they have the whole gamut of pregnancy-related complications at a higher level. So that's why we don't want to just trick women into getting pregnant when they have PCOS, because they're likely to just miscarry or have complications. We don't need that. We want to really be healthy long before we're pregnant. And that's why Every day of a woman's life, if she anticipates getting pregnant, should be a day of health. I mean, really, we should never take a vacation from being healthy because it all matters, right? It all matters. It does. All right, this is our last question. And again, this one's anonymous. We had a lot of anonymous this time where they weren't sharing their name. I struggle with PCOS, which means that I don't get a period consistently. Sometimes I can go three to four months without a period, and when I do, the cramps are out of control. I almost can't function because they're so bad, extending to my legs and my back. Without being too gross, the flow is extremely heavy as well. What are some ways I can alleviate these symptoms of my out-of-control periods? Well, it gets, that's a wonderful question because it ties in so many things we've already spoken about. Yeah, it does. That when you, when you have a period, it's an inflammatory process. Women with PCOS, we now know, are inherently inflamed. This was discussed and, and researched back in the 1990s when it was first discovered that women with PCOS have higher markers of inflammation. And so this becomes a body-wide process. And in the uterus, Remember that when, when you trigger a period, that's an inflammatory process. They have too many prostaglandins. It's out of control. They don't have enough progesterone. <clears throat> so what we want to do is work on fundamentals. So we want to, number one, just help the woman to feel better. So there are certain things that we can do. Some, there are even pharmaceuticals. There's a pharmaceutical I use occasionally. It's called Lysteta. So it's transaminic acid, which actually helps to prevent really heavy bleeding. So sometimes, you know, I look at pharmaceuticals as a short-term bridge to health. So if you use it for just a few months while we get, you know, your body 
inflammation down by getting you on an anti-inflammatory diet, taking out the gluten and taking out the dairy, taking out the processed foods, anything with added sugars and high fructose corn syrup. They are all inflammatory. If you have terrible cramps, if you have heavy periods, your body is inflamed and it's manifesting in this way. And it could manifest with with migraines, it can manifest with joint pain. These are all manifestations of inflammation. So we got to get this person on an anti-inflammatory diet. We've got to get her on, unless she doesn't qualify, on a fasting regimen. And she should definitely watch the fasting movie, which, by the way, is on Amazon and Netflix. So she should watch that because that will give her some other helpful clues. She should do the fasting mimic. I agree. Got to get her her. Let me ask you this, because a lot a lot of times. Some, I think someone told me, and maybe I misunderstood, that they said when you are when you're about to get on your period and you're getting these headaches, that progesterone cream is good for you to put a little bit of progesterone cream during that time. Do you agree with that or no? Um, I do use progesterone sometimes. Also, hopefully not indefinitely because that's not getting to the root cause. But once again, sometimes we have to do things short term while we get the problem fixed, right? So with low progesterone, when progesterone drops, that's the trigger to having a menstrual period. So some women, and they don't make enough progesterone. We now know that. And so they, when they drop it, they still don't have enough progesterone on board. So giving very small amounts of progesterone, like if I gave it orally, I might give just like 12 and a half um, milligrams. So I'm not going to be giving a lot. You know, I'm going to be giving small amounts of progesterone and it can sometimes really help that little bit of progesterone. Progesterone is also very neuroprotective and neurocalming. And, and sometimes that helps because we know that anxiety exacerbates pain and inflammation, right? It's a, it's a strong link, which gets back to the whole endocannabinoid system, right? So that, you know, and sometimes that's where I think for some of these women that have really bad cramps and really bad periods, very small amounts of some of the, um, the like CBD and so forth might help them short term while we get to the root cause, you know, which is really, you know, getting their gut microbiome and their circadian clock and their hormones in balance and getting their rhythms back on track and getting all that together. But we need tools to help women symptomatically while we get them, them fixed, basically. And the tool that we don't want to use is birth control pills because that is only actually creating more harm. It's actually kicking kicking the can down the road because eventually they, people go off of them and they have more more problems than they had before they began. So we, we sometimes use different tools to help symptomatically, but we ultimately must fix the underlying root causes, you know, the circadian rhythm dysfunction, the environmental toxin loads, the gut dysbiosis, the endocrine you know, malfunctions, and the nutrient deficiencies. And we get all of this put together and we get this puzzle put back in the right place. And then a woman can have an optimized life and have the feminine, yeah. you know, no woman wants to look in the mirror and start shaving every morning. That is right. like the ultimate anti-feminine feeling, right? And, right? and so many women with PCOS have such negative self-esteem, right? They have yes. negative self-perception. And that is so important that we give them back their love of life and their self-esteem. That is critical yeah. to well-being. Yeah. Well, I am so excited about your book coming out, and I know everyone listening today is going to be excited about it. So one more time, say your website, and we'll also put it in your show notes. Tell us your website one more time, Dr. Gersh. FeliceLGershMD.com. And I think you should make it easier. I think you should have it be DrGershMD.com. You know, I think someone stole that. I'm going to work on getting you an easier. We need an easier uh, website. Police. I mean, we have to. That's a good idea. I need uh, definitely. You have. We need an easier one. Yeah, we need a shorter, easier one. So we'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much. This was an absolute pleasure and so, so nice to meet you. So glad you came on the show and we will all run out and get your book as soon as it gets on the press. It's going to be up on the website very shortly within the month and people can put it in pre-order. Pre-order, right. 
And yeah. Uh, yeah, so you can be first uh, first in the on your block with it. Yes, so exciting. Well, thanks again. And guys, if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayWay.com. Have a great day. See you guys next time. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.